0: We uh, have been in this series for, like Darren said, for about five weeks, and so today we're going to kind of pull it together. I want to talk a little bit about uh, relationships uh, as they apply to singles, uh, in in terms, because I think the the fact of the matter is, whether it's our congregation or uh, just the culture that we live in, we're going to see, and are seeing, increasing numbers of people who who either by their choice or by the choice of others uh, make the decision to <clears throat> embrace and live as single men and women in the culture, uh, whether as parents or not, uh, and, and part of the problem has been over the years, uh, especially in the in the modern church, the ideal held up has been to, to get married to and have kids and so on, and certainly that is that's the case. Thank you. Um, and. Uh, That ideal, however, was never a biblical ideal. It has been more of a modern ideal, kind of a good housekeeping seal of approval ideal. And especially when you consider the invasion of the kingdom of earth with the kingdom of heaven. The implications for both marriage and singleness are uh, closer now uh, than to the first century when Jesus and the apostles were, were living uh, than it is uh, any, at, any other, at, at almost any other time. So I want to talk about, uh, first of all, the validating a single lifestyle, either by choice or by default. Because sometimes we're single because nobody asked us to marry them. Or the person we asked said no. And, and so a lot of singleness by default comes out of perceptions of rejection. And, and I, I, wanna, I wanna first of all say, uh, whether you are single by choice or single by default or single because for whatever reason, you never either were in a position to be asked or never in a position to ask someone. However that evolves, I need you to, first of all, hear me say that your choice, either the one you have made or the one that has been made for you, is a valid choice. That contentment isn't about getting married. That contentment, in fact, if you're not content single, you won't be content married. Because contentment has nothing to do with your external patterns of relationship second thing I will say, and I want to get to the text of scripture here in just a minute, but the second thing I want to say is, 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 is that uh, uh, singleness is a valid decision that you can, and in some cases I will argue should make, especially given the culture that we live in and the, the impact of, of, the, of the relational choices that we make. Third thing I want to say, second, third thing, second, third, is that whether you're single or married, you still need patterns of relational intimacy in five dimensions to be The nature of those relationships obviously change. Remember, I tried to make the point uh, when we first started to have this conversation that we're built for relational intimacy in the five dimensions, social, intellectual, emotional, uh, spiritual and physical, and only one relationship that is defined by covenant is adequate to the support and the weight of the one tiny dimension of physical intimacy that is sexual in orientation. I know that's a different way of looking at things, but I need you to to realize that we have been uh, uh, shaped by a culture that has virtually sexualized every relationship. So that for a man or a woman to consider themselves to be a whole person in this culture, they have to have been sexualized in some way. And I need you to hear that both the text of scripture, can you bring it down this new order? I don't know where that topic comes from. Uh, but uh, in, to be true to the text of scripture, I think we need to be honest about this. You can live as a whole person in intimate relationships without ever once engaging in sexual intercourse. That is news to virtually everybody but those in the kingdom of God. Jesus was a whole person who had intimate relationships in five dimensions and never once slept with a woman. He is the one we are disciples of. This is why one of the fruit of the spirit is sexual self-control. That's why. It's the ninth fruit of the spirit, often translated temperance. But it really is, in behind it, is the idea of sexual self-control. And let me just say this for a moment. You need sexual self-control, whether single or married. And you need sexual self-control perhaps more when you're married than you do when you're single. You want me to recognize? That's the, that's the kind of the core reality. does that make sense? So what do we, what, what's the foundation of this? Um, and, and I'd like you to look with me if you've got Bibles. Uh, we're, we're, we're moving to this uh, version over the last couple of weeks. So uh, if you need one, we've got a couple on the edges and so feel free to, to grab one. But we're in 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter seven, 1 Corinthians chapter seven where Paul is in that whole second chapter writing about marriage and about sexuality and about how to be a whole person at the edge of time, at the end of the age, when Jesus is coming back in his culture and his understanding momentarily, how do we live? And so uh, before we get to the text then, um uh, before we get to the text in verse uh, 32, which is where I'm gonna go, I need you to sit with this for just a minute. Paul is writing in the first century He's writing about 65, 70 A.D., well, maybe a little bit before that, between 60 and 65 A.D. Persecution is increasing rather rapidly. Men and women are beginning to lose their lives as a result of their embrace of the gospel. Children are being removed from the homes of believers because to believe means you have become an unfit parent. So, in other words, imagine this, if, 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 as you embrace the Lordship of Jesus Christ and make public declaration, Jesus is Lord uh, all around you, your neighbors are saying, Caesar is Lord. The culture says of you, you're an atheist. You don't believe in the gods. Even though you say Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, the culture says that's not adequate and sufficient. And therefore, you are inappropriate as act, to act as a parent. And your children are removed from your home because as, as, a, as a disciple of Christ, you're an unfit parent. That's the environment within which Paul writes this. You, you with me? And so, so with that structure in mind, listen now to his language in verse 32. I want you, he says, to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, specifically how he can please his wife. His interests, therefore, are divided. An unmarried woman, a virgin, is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman, is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but so that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul is suggesting here, based on this text of scripture, I think, that uh, in the culture in which he was living with those two realities, one is the enormous pressure on persons who embrace the Lordship of Jesus Christ just to survive. But secondly, given the fact that Jesus was in, was likely to come back within moments, this would be understanding the expectation, that his return was imminent. And with that reality, we have worked this with, the same we to this. A single man, a single woman is able, us. as a result of their unsplit allegiance to devote themselves wholeheartedly spirit, soul, body, mind, however you want to divide that, right? To the following, to the serving, to the, uh, the devotion to God without anxiety about what might happen to their loved ones if they go all out. Off. But a married person has split loyalty. They have to think about the decisions they make in following Jesus yeah. as it applies it. to their family. To their in fact, uh, in, our, in our, just lives forward 2,000 change. years, in our marriage, Judy and I both have to consider what our following of Jesus will mean for the other. So as a pastor, I got increasingly to the place where I never made uh, uh, okay. a decision okay. of consequence without Judy's knowing about it, weighing in on it, and informing in fact, there were periods of time when I was so frustrated with God's silence to me that I finally said to him, look, you don't even have to tell me what to do. Just tell Judy. That will be fine for me, all right? And that's, that that actually ended up, so, so when, just as a case in point, when I finally came to the conclusion that it was time for me to step aside from the church that I had been leading for 27 years, um, and, and I finally came to that, conclusion, and I I told you this is kind of where I was going. She said, I know. I've been there for two years. She already heard, she already knew, but she needed me to come to an awareness of what she already had confirmed and affirmed. You see? So 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 in that and, and please notice here, Paul's language is is built around this context. He didn't write this to last did he wrote it to a congregation in Corinth. He is very aware of the sexual pressure that pushes people towards marriage. In fact, earlier on in that passage, he, he just he says the same thing in verse 8. Now to the unmarried, to those who are widows, I say to you, it's good for you to stay unmarried, even as I do, right? Based on the passage that's going to follow. However, he says, um, if they can't control themselves sexually, they should marry. It's better to marry than to burn with passion, he says. Oh, this is in the Bible, really? Well, yeah, God invented us as a desiring persons. He invented our sexuality. He knows how it works. He knows that there is, since Genesis 2, a pull towards one another that got tweaked and distorted in from Genesis 3. But nonetheless, the desire is for physical connection at a sexual level. That's not the problem. That's why we need to learn sexual self-control as one of the fruit of the spirit. That's why, right? But in process, and, and in, in a culture, especially in Corinth, which is way more sexually promiscuous than our culture even is, if you believe it, they legitimized sexual prostitution as a way of worshiping the gods and goddesses. So this was the culture that Paul was writing to. And he says, look, you you need to learn sexual self-control. And as as a single man, as a single woman, it becomes critical to devote your heart, your devotion, your attention to God and his ways in the world. If at some point you have been unable to to learn that, or if the options are not available for you to marry, then embrace singleness. Uh, But on the other hand, There's nothing wrong with being married. Just be aware of the implications of that as you move move forward. So the default is singleness. The choice is marriage. Does that make sense? Now, that strikes our culture as being, what? How, how, what? Every push, I I just noticed how much of our advertising is not necessarily towards marriage, but towards hooking up. So Paul pushes against that part of the culture as strongly, perhaps even more strongly, than he pushes against the marriage part of the culture. The Christian community, by the way, has not done a very good job at legitimating, validating, and supporting singles in their chosen lifestyle. In fact, uh, at, at some places, we have misinterpreted texts of scripture to suggest in order to serve in leadership roles, deacons, et cetera, you have to been there. That's not what Paul ever said but we've misinterpreted the text. You, you, you see? Uh, and, and so it, 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 it keeps on flowing out from that. So all I need to say is that the garden, we want to support you in whatever choice you have made or has been made for you. Because part of what Paul is dealing with here is men and women who have been set aside by their spouses. They've been divorced by their spouses because they are disciples of Jesus and their spouses are And Paul just said we want to support you, we want to care for you, if you uh, choose to remain single we want to validate that and encourage you in the financial and social structures to support the fluidity of life that that might present. If you are a single person with a child similar to the married person you now have obligations that condition your obedience and following of Christ. We want to support you in that as best we possibly can. If on the other side of that point you decide marriage is the option for you, you want to press into that, that's fine too. We'll support you in that. Neither one nor the other is necessarily more pleasing to God, more right as disciples than, than the other. Does that make sense? Um, anybody have any questions? We've got a bunch of questions that came in this morning and a few that came from last week, and I got some over the email and stuff, so I want to get to those. Uh, in, in, in conversation but I, I, I want to uh, give you an opportunity because this is this is different uh, and part of the difference is the, by the way I should also mention that Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 don't be conformed to this world includes being conformed to the church in it Just because the overwhelming social structure of the church is towards couples and marriage, that does not mean that is the appropriate life and style of choice for you. Now, what do we do with persons who want to be married, but for one reason or other, maybe their family system has disabled them from making wise and good choices about a partner, or maybe they're, they're, uh, and so they have consistently found themselves in damaging relationships. And so rather than risk that persisting, they've, they've had to pull back in a way, or maybe uh, they've never had the option to be, to, to be with uh, uh, a husband or a wife for various reasons. What do we do? Uh, all I can say to you is we're gonna to continue to invite Jesus into in singleness, as well as into marriage. And we're not gonna grab, we're gonna receive. And if what comes to you is not a husband or a wife, See that with yes and a thank you. If it comes to you as a husband or a wife, we're going to receive that with a yes and a thank you. I mean, it's oxymoronic, but it's it's a known uh, statement of fact, if you will, that uh, most many single people want to be married and many married people want to be single. To my point, sexual self-control, which is used as the primary driver of for Paul, is as much and if not more an issue in marriage than it is in singleness. And the reason is fairly straightforward. In singleness, the scriptural pattern is we just simply need to sing up at all times and in all relationships. Our whole being does not depend on sexual expression. Right? In marriage, we need to say yes and no sometimes that's a whole lot harder to negotiate than just saying no all the time. does that make sense that's why it's more needed in marriage than it's needed in single because here we have to make decisions our decision to be a sexual being at some level depends on our partnership with our husband or wife If I want, if I say yes and she or he says no, then I need to be content with her or his no. Without shame, without uh, 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 recrimination, without blame. That's a whole lot more difficult than simply saying no. no. Because. Yeah? Okay. Any, any, Any questions coming out of that that you want to pursue? Anybody want to join a different church? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Pastor Bill, this is from Darren. Why can't you be like more like Pastor Darren? (laughs) He's funny and smart. (laughs) Uh, We're gonna move the Teflonine, the idols, the household idols. (laughs) I recognize your handwriting from, from, from class assignments, so. Okay, so, I want to answer the ones that specifically came in today, at least as best we can. Um, uh, oh man, here's the first question. How can the church practically work against a church culture that idolizes marriage? How do we biblically empower singleton ministry? That's really what we've been talking about. So part of what we're trying to do, just from our standpoint, and we're still trying to work our way through this. I love the image of the garden. It grows, it's organic. There's weeds, right? There's stuff that doesn't work. So we're still still trying to figure that out. But what that means is, uh, single people can serve in leadership roles, single persons, can serve in, in virtually any position based on gifts and calling and character like a married person can. Secondly, we really want to support them in our community groups in their singleness and particularly single moms uh, and, and dads. Uh, culturally, it's more single moms than single dads. Uh, just the reality of, 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 of how that works itself out. So we want as best we can in our community groups to support them in that. But if you are in a place to help us with this, if you can say, here's something that would really be helpful, uh, let us know. It might be, for example, if we need to think seriously about them, how, how to support uh, singles uh, in, a, in a more holistic way with living arrangements and whatnot. I don't know what that would look like, uh, but it could be, could be something that, that could work for. But I think the key is going to be, and I, I love the, the language, the church culture that idealizes, um, and I, think, I would argue, also argue idealizes marriage. Um, and, and I think we have to do it by simply doing what we're trying to do here today, just say saying we're still built for relationships in five dimensions. We're still built for intimacy. Uh, marriage does not require, is not required for those intimacy, except for one which is only one part, of not of, an of. unimportant so part. I don't want to diminish it. It's, it's clearly one of the strongest uh, forces that we know uh, as, as human beings. So uh, we want to honor uh, symbolism in that, in that way. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. If anybody has some ideas on that, we, I want to I hear from you. Um, in building a healthy, uh, spirit-filled marriage, where do we look? For inspiration in the area of erotic love so in, in terms of that one uh, area of component where do we look probably the best place to look uh, is uh, song of solomon uh, book, the whole book of the bible devoted to the physical aspects of love it is written in poetic and artistic language that requires a little bit of decoding uh, but if you get what he's writing I just, I just love it that the holy spirit has inspired in a uh, in the Bible, a whole book of the Bible that is devoted to the physical expression of love in the sexual relationship, and 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 so that's probably the primary place uh, that you can do that. The one thing that I really like about the Song of Solomon that is not true in a lot of the other uh, erotic literature out there is the attention it gives to the development of the other instances, the attention that it gives to development of the relationship. Great sex does not happen apart from great relationship, For a, at least not for a period of time, for a long period of time. Great sex can be fireworks, adrenaline charged uh, because of uh, the fact of, of, uh, of uh, an, an inappropriate relationship or an affair or something like that and in the moment that sexual expression is great but that is a law of diminishing that's one of the reasons why sexual uh, expressions that have begun with that adrenalinized chart, uh, pornography, premarital remar- sexual relationships, are almost, uh, when you get married uh, within six months, those things are missing. Because married, married sexuality is not about adrenaline. It's about intimacy. Now that, a tendency in the five dimensions. Builds a great sexual relationship for thirty-five or forty or fifty years. You can have to be having your greatest sexual relationship with your husband or wife on your fortieth wedding anniversary, but not if it's adrenalinized. because we're not—that's not what it's built for. You, you, you see, um, and I can. That's why, by the way, pornography is so deadly in America, because pornography is inevitably adrenalineized sexuality. So if pornography has been an issue before, it will be within six months afterwards. That's why we want to put a, a stake through the heart of the brain before and allow enough of a buffer time to make sure it's stopped before we make it a lifetime. that's the primary place that I would recommend. And then there's some, um, actually if you're interested, there's a book called Solomon on Sex. It's pretty good. Okay. Um, Yeah. Let me just say too, the the best place to look is not the bookstore. Because they emphasize tools, toys, and techniques. Which depersonalizes and objectifies sexuality rather than personalizes and, and builds sexuality into a whole frame of relationship. Does that make sense? Um, so anyway, um, how do you practice uh, an Ephesians 5 model of marriage when seriously dated? Great. Uh, should we? This addresses uh, one of the questions that came in uh, last week as well. The, the short answer is, is yes, but it needs to evolve. So the Ephesians 5 model is a model of mutual submission, a model of serving one another. Uh, but here's the point, you have to lay the foundation and earn the right, both to serve and to be served by a relational pattern of submission over time. So this is why I say, uh, in, 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 this is so ideal that I hesitate to say it because real relationships don't always work this way But in general terms, what I want to do with people that I'm walking with in dating relationships is say, let's spend the first six to nine months dating. But what are we doing when we're dating? We're building a foundation in emotions, I mean, in social and intellectual intimacy. Because that's the friendship. We're not going to put weight on that development with with a high degree of emotional, spiritual, or physical intimacy soon as we move into those three, we create a false intimacy that disables the development of the foundation. So in an Ephesians 5 relationship, as we're dating seriously, the question in the first six to nine months is, can I live with this person? Do I even like them? Do we have enough interests in common? Can we talk about things without feeling pushed into a box? Can we enjoy one another's company? Do we enjoy similar kinds of activities? And the reason you want to do that is because in the first six to nine months, you're looking for reasons to escape. Is there anything in here that I can't live with for the next 50 years? Because if there is, it's not going to change. So, you know, raise the flag and say, thanks so much. That's what is for. Right? But if you've got more skin in the game, whether physical, spiritual, or emotional, it makes it really, really hard at the friendship level to say, I don't want to do this anymore. And especially when you have sexual intimacy built in, because then you've got a biochemical connection, very similar to the bond between a mom and a nursing child. That's the point of, uh, of, of orgasm, that changes the biochemical connection and begins to bond us to the person with whom we share that experience. By the way, that's also why we're so good. Upset, right, so so the first six to nine months is dating, which is to say, uh, do I like who this person is? Do I like their pattern of relationships? Do I like how they do they like? Do I like how they treat me when they're with their friends? Do I like how they treat me when they're with my friends? Can we be friends with friends? Right? Do I like how my gender is treated in their family? Do I like how he treats his mom or she treats her dad? Do I like how men or women, depending on your gender, function in their family system. All of this stuff is about, you know, are there reasons to do be, not none of these are necessarily reasons to draw the, you know, draw a bridge But it's enough to say, oh, we need to push into this. We need to explore this. We need to ask some harder questions. We need to have some hard conversations. But along the way, increasingly, is emotional. That really gets to the opinion. One, and the Ephesians by model. What I'm asking for is a right to be trusted with your heart. That's an emotional and That's why we don't say I love you on the third date. Okay. That's why we don't start planning, you know, the floor plan of our first home with the white picket fence and the, mm-hmm. the kids and the three car garage. That pushes the relationship, even socially and emotionally, way beyond the capacity of. the Then, as we cross over, at some point, and you know when this occurs. Maybe for Judy and I, I will just tell you, we had been dating for 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 three or four months, five months. Both of us had dated adequately before that we knew kind of what we were looking for and who we were looking for, and and so fairly quickly, four to six months into our relationship, was a realization. This 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 is the this is somebody I really need to start to pay attention. After a Sunday night service, we drove to the north of Edmonton. Uh, I know that in other parts of the world, some of you come from other parts of the world, that cities actually end. There is a city limits. It's called city limits. And when you drive over that street, there's no more city there. It's a phenomenon that we don't know anything about. But anyway, in, 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 in other parts of the world, cities end. And then there's like farms. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so we, were, we drove from the north part of the city, out of, out of the city lights, and parked the car and just went for a walk. Uh, up, up, and it was a beautiful moonlit night, fresh snow had just fallen. It was just one of those moments, right? And if, and if you, she was here this morning, uh, she would tell you, as I, as I will tell you, that at that moment, we knew this is the moment. Okay? But both of us didn't say that we were still guarding our hearts appropriately. You see? But then began dating, the courtship. The question in dating is, is this the kind of person I can marry? The question in courtship is, am I the kind of person who can be married to this person? Can I be trusted with the gift that this woman, this man, gives? And I, out of who I am, develop Covenants commitment to them to death, regardless of what is going to happen in our lives together. You see? And so that's the second. Then we then we learn to be with each other's uh, heart and finally and spirituality and increasingly appropriate levels of physical intimacy that are appropriate to the nature of the relationship without becoming sexual. And then when the covenant is sealed in marriage by the So, can you do an model of marriage when you're seriously dating Yes. after dating as you're looking for fortune. Because that's when I've earned the right to be trusted with your heart. And you have demonstrated to me that you have the right to be trusted with my heart. Because if you've got one person who is submissive first to Jesus and then to the other, and you have the other person who's not submissive either to Jesus or the other, we've got a problem. Because now we've got a Genesis 3 reality with a Genesis 1-2 reality. And Genesis 3 will always trump Genesis 1-2 in a relationship. Because physical size and power, this is where uh, uh, spousal abuse comes in. Right? Where you can will dominate? So that's why you want to make sure. As best you can, no scenario is perfect, but as best you can do basketball and push you all over. Hard work. Really hard work. That's why for me I want to have as many, when I'm walking with people in pre marriage stuff, have as many hard questions answered as you possibly can before you get married. Now, one of the, you know, is a couple walks through towards engagement. One of the assignments I give them is take three days apart from each other. If you can't do that, you shouldn't get married. Three days apart from each other without contact. Make a long list of everything about you that. A long list of everything about your intended that you don't have. And then come back together to share your list. Let's talk about everything that I don't like about me. Everything that you don't like about you, And then let's ask the question. Should we be doing this? Given So fine. people still self protect But I've been walking with couples on the other side who didn't find out about their spouse until after they had gotten married, in some cases, on their own. That's really, really hard. So let's have the conversations before rather than after. Let's have the good fights, the strong fights, the storm out of the room fights before you get married. Because after you get married, the room is connected to another room in which that person also lives. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. Did, did, does that make sense? Okay. Um, how much time we got? Oh, all right. So um, what about relationships with unbelieving friends? How do you walk the line between loving them and not being uh, vulnerable to the old life? That's an important question. And it gets to something else uh, that I'm saying here, too. Uh, first of all, let's be let's be very, very clear. Even in dating relationships, missionary dating is not appropriate. Jesus is clear on this. Paul puts it this way. Don't be unequally yoked together. I don't believe that this is talking just about marriage. I'm talking, I think it's talking about dating relationships that have intentionality. In so part of the first question is how do you avoid the, the old way of life is keep the relationship at a level that's manageable social and intellectual intimacy if you have found yourself in regular regularly in older relationships moving into either uh, primarily emotional or physical intimacy too quickly then you're going to have to work really hard and if you can't you have no business it's not that of a person problem you have no business being in a relationship until you can protect your body and your heart that's knowing where boundaries are if you can't do that then don't be in a relationship like that with with people who are unbelieving in other words if your insecurities have in previous relationships consistently pushed the physical relationship consistently push the physical relationship please notice i said your insecurities that's primarily where that comes from then the problem is not the relationship. The only way to deal with that is to find yourself, find out for yourself who you are as beloved in Christ. And live out of the center of that solid self-awareness. Knowing where the boundaries are so that you can engage in real relationships with other other people. Some of whom have no sense of what those boundaries are. Because if you don't respect your boundaries, how in the world are you going to require somebody else? So anyway, that's that's, that's gonna be the the, the key on that. I've got a couple more, are are we still okay? All right, so as a single person, what should I be looking for in a potential spouse? Great question. First of all, uh, remember that marriage is not about finding the right person, it's about being the right person. You do not marry your soulmate. You become soulmates with the person you marry. I did a wedding here the other the week and somebody came up to me at the end again and said, do you think they're soulmates? And I said, no, of course not. How could they be soulmates? They've only known each other. Soulmates evolved out of covenant. Because I mean, the truth is I hate that language, by the way. I don't like the language of soulmates. So the first thing is to be a woman it is it is first all to recognize you're not going to be somebody other than you are when you get married. It's not about completion, it's not about fulfillment, it's not about, uh, you know, all, all of that stuff. So the first thing is, i want like to be solid in who I am as a person in Christ. So that's the first. Thing. The second thing is, uh, I want to, in looking for somebody, it, it, it is, is uh, do they love Jesus more than they love him? they love Jesus more than they love themselves. How do I tell that? Follow them around for a while. This is why you don't want to put a whole bunch of money in the bank right away. How Take the time to see how, whether in the way they spend their money, the way they spend their time, the way they handle their sexuality, the way they handle relationships. It is patterned after a disciple relationship. That's going to be critical. Does okay. that make sense? Then the second thing is, watch how whether that character has begun to work itself into their character. So the things that you want to look for are things like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, temperance, goodness. You will recognize those as the fruit of the spirit. Those are the marks of Christ's character being replicated in us. Clearly. We are all on journey clearly at 22 or 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 or 50. we're not there yet but i should see a trajectory over time i should be able to see a, a a person moving in patience and moving in love and moving in joy i should be able to see that so those are the two kind of broad three kind of broad things then i want to know as he or she left home Have they differentiated, have they become whole persons apart from their families of origin in the five dimensions? Or are they making significant progress in that direction? Then, have they individuated, have they become a whole person apart from this false self that they generated in junior high school? We do not want to be married to a 22-year-old junior higher who has no idea who he or she is but it's constantly sniffing the wind to see what they think and believe or practice about anything in the moment. You want to know, because otherwise you, you know, you're you not a self connecting with another self. You, you see? So that's individuation is really critical. And it usually, candidly, in, in Southern California, uh, women tend to individuate earlier, uh, somewhere between 21 and 23. Men tend to individuate a little bit later, somewhere Southern California, Southern Florida, and Southern Hawaii. If we were in Nebraska, it's about the same, but we're not in Nebraska, we're here, so. You know, and, and and frankly, the reason is because this culture encourages men to play, so they never have to be, leave their junior high self behind You, you see? Uh, yeah, please notice, this is always why you want to protect the relationship physically. One of the primaries, Dirty little secret here, boys and girls. But one of the primary things that moves men to adult responsibility is the idea that at some point they'll marry a woman with whom they can enjoy sexual relationship. But if I don't need to marry her in order to enjoy sexual relationship with her, why should I, A, marry, B, grow up? So women tend to use sex as a way of encouraging commitment which has its exact opposite impact. God is being really smart. Would you say that? Mm-hmm. Just take it from him. No, until. Okay. So, and, um, so individuation, and then and then we're going to work through those idealistic through those, through those stages as we forward. Uh, a couple other things here. What are some tangible ways that we can be serving our significant other? in our marriage, and in a big relationship. The first one is to mind your own business. Significant ways that we can be serving our others. One, mind your own business. In other words, take care of your own walk with God, your own individual maturity, your own spirituality. Then you will have, in Jesus' language, no two-by-four sitting out of your eye You might actually be helpful with respect and sawdust in your husband with your wife's side. how's that? Everybody okay? Yeah. Because, because if, sometimes I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't know who this was, but uh, um, sometimes we think all I need to do is whip him or her into shape, and I'll be I'll be happily ever after. The last thing you want. what you think Their emergence. I'm not going to try and get in the way of it. I'm going to try and, and let them flourish. To care for another person means to, as best you can, enable them to become most fully themselves. That's what I want to do in supporting their bodies and work in my marriage. So that's going to be the, 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 the key thing to help them become more fully themselves in partnership. With uh, the final one uh, is, is uh, no, two more, you got patience for two more? Yeah, okay, all right, I'm gonna go with that here, the rest of you will, no, uh, uh, and, and this comes out of, of some concerns over what Darren and I have been talking about uh, over the last few weeks uh, about the idea that marriage is about mutuality and so on and so forth. So here's the question, what about the man as the head of the woman did not women the woman lead uh, the man to eat the fruit and the serpent lead the woman. What I believe is that God intended uh, for us, uh, intended us uh, for for him, God, to lead the man and the woman to lead the woman and uh, man to lead the woman and both of them work together to lead their children. Uh, In other words, marriage is built for kind of a hierarchical structure where you have God and then you have the male and then you have the female. I need to say, first of all, the, the logic here, that the did not the woman lead the man to eat the fruit, and the serpent lead the woman? That comes from his explanation for how they got where they got. In other words, the man's explanation was, the woman deceived me. That's not what happened. That's what he said happened. Do you see? Then she said, the serpent deceived me. No, that's not what happened. That's what she said Remember, one of the characteristics of the Genesis 3 relationship is blame. So the question is, do you want to live your relationship based on a foundation that arose out of blame? Moses makes it very clear it was not her that led him astray. The two of them were present in the moment acting. Now, the text that she quotes, or he quotes, from 1 Timothy. It's about why Paul says, I don't let a woman teach a man. There's a whole cultural context behind that, which I can explain at some point if you want to. But it's not about marriage, it's about how life works in a highly sexualized culture in a church environment of leadership and instruction. So the idea of the husband being the head of the wife is a good idea the problem is head does not mean supervisor head is metaphor head and body it's not about who's in charge it's not about who has authority it's not about who gets the final say it's not about who makes the final decision or balances the accounts or makes the most money it's not about any of those things the relationship between jesus and the church depicted in ephesians 5 is not a relationship of authority or power Relationship of love that serves. So, I will say, however, that if we get mutuality right, and then you want to structure your relationship this way, you can do that. Just don't say that's what God's will for every relationship is. With me, that's how you guys want to build your marriages? Fine. Fine. But don't say. This is what the Bible requires because it doesn't. The final question is uh, what happens if uh, in a marriage relationship one of the five intimacies is missing, whether it's spiritual or physical at times or emotional intimacy? And the short answer is you have to be married to the person you're married to, not the one you wish you were married to. So that creates vulnerabilities, it creates the necessity of other relationships of intimacy with other persons. Obviously, the physical sexual relationship is restricted for various reasons. But nonetheless, I might have a higher level of spiritual intimacy with a, with a friend than I do with my husband or wife. Remember, spiritual intimacy, very, very difficult for all kinds of reasons. I'll, I'll just step out of this for one reason. One of the primary reasons spiritual intimacy is difficult is because women who desire spiritual intimacy, often more than their husbands do, don't create space and validate a male spirituality that's different than theirs. In other words, I want my husband to be the spiritual leader of our home. Please notice the Bible doesn't ask him to do that. But I want him to be the spiritual leader of our home in the way that I want him to be. Wait, who's in charge (laughs) here? Who gets to define what male spirituality looks like, because if you get to define it, then now you're the spiritual. So, how are you doing? Okay. So we want to we want to say I want his spirituality to flourish. I want her spirituality to flourish, and somewhere there's going to be some overlap that we want to attend to. That's what spirituality is. Now we've we've covered a huge amount of territory this morning, and I hope that this has been uh, in these last five or six weeks has this been helpful uh, to you, but one of the things that's probably going to be most helpful to you is if we just create some space of prayer and we'd like to do that uh, I know that we've got a little bit over time, but Darren, you want to uh, come up us and us uh, and others of you who are part of our prayer team, we just want to be available um, without too much um, further, further ado, if there's anybody here that can Pray for whether in, in these matters, or in, uh, in in your marriage, or in your singleness, uh, or it could be again, you came to church this morning with things that are completely unrelated to what we're, we're, we're talking about, and we'd like to pray for you in that regard. To this